Hello, and welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. And we're nearing the end of our series in Nehemiah. And this week, David highlights a sense of unity found within the children of Israel as they work together for a common goal, rebuilding Jerusalem. In his message, David shares the significance of coming together as a church family, even in the face of adversity. He emphasizes the importance of biblical unity and how it is foundational in a church body working together for the kingdom of God. We believe that love and unity should be hallmark characteristics of followers of Christ and that there is beauty and diversity working together. We pray that this week's message will inspire you to seek unity and love as a true disciple of Jesus. Hey, Justin. <laughs> Refuge is a safe place to... Party. Oh, I like it. Right. Refuge is a safe place to... Redefine your belief system? Refuge is a safe place to... To worship and be yourself. Worship and be yourself. Refuge is a safe place. To explore and restore your faith in Jesus and his church. Worship. To worship. Refuge is a safe place to explore my religion and learn about God. Explore. <laughs> Refuge is a safe place to worship God. Worship God. <laughs> you just got called out. I did. Um, Refuge is a safe place to reconstruct. Nice. Not I'm pretty comfortable. All right. Refuge is, Refuge is a safe place to, to be comfortable. To be comfortable. <laughs> Good evening. I hate that I missed the table talk last week, but as you know, one of our dogs, I think, tried to kill me. Um, she knocked me down and broke some ribs, so I'm moving kind of slow still today. Welcome to Refuge. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be here to worship with you tonight. We're going to continue the series on Nehemiah tonight, and as we do so, I want to tell you a story. Before being a school principal for many years, I taught high school, and I absolutely loved it. And I can remember I was in my first year of teaching, I was right out of grad school, and I remember this day like it was yesterday. I was called into the principal's office that morning, something a first-year teacher never wants to see happen to them. My first block was my planning block, so I didn't have any students then. And I remember as I walked into his office, he had the TV on. And I looked on the TV and I saw that one of the buildings of the World Trade Center was on fire. My principal said to me, we have no idea what's going on, but I'm afraid this might get worse. And just as he said that, we watched on live TV as the other plane hit the other tower. We just stood there in silence and in shock. My principal then told me, since we do not have a school counselor here and you have your master's in counseling, I'm going to need you to be on standby for the kids all day long. And boy, I had to counsel a lot. So for the rest of the day, our high school students sat in the cafeteria and with the TV on as we watched as our country was under attack. 
And this room was completely silent. As the days went by, we learned that some of our students had family in those buildings and some didn't make it out. We also learned that we had students who had family on those planes as well. I mean, if you were old enough, I know you can pinpoint exactly where you were on that day. I tell you that story because as the days, weeks, and months went by after that day, something changed in this country. We came together. We looked past our differences. We were there for one another as Americans who were under attack. We were unified. I was able to visit Ground Zero on the six-month anniversary of 9-11 when they had the ceremony where they lit up the night sky with those two beams of light where the towers stood. The feeling of overwhelming sadness was in the air, but also the feeling of overwhelming unity. Strangers were, hug- were hugging one another, crying with one another, and holding one another up. I think if you were here in southwest Florida almost exactly one year ago, you can sort of relate to this. Hurricane Ian was my first major hurricane that I have ever experienced, and it was terrifying. But the days and weeks after that horrible day, we saw the same thing happen. Despite the overwhelming sadness and grief, we saw unity once again. People put aside their own beliefs and prejudices and just helped one another. We looked at the ultimate goodness of humanity and once again became unified. You know, studies have been conducted as to why there is tremendous unity after a tragic event. I read one article that said, following a traumatic event... There's something profoundly appealing about the belief that we're inherently good people and evil, hatred, envy, violence is not an innate part of human nature, but resides out there in other people. Taking refuge in such belief curbs our fears and inspires confidence about what lies ahead. But as, as I read on in that article, it ends with this statement. In a month or two, once fear has abated, the emotional sense of unity will inevitably abate. And instead of hating evil, we'll go back to bickering. There was also a study that was conducted in 2021 that relates to a sharp decline in unity, namely friendship. This study found that 10% of women and 15% of men report that they don't have a single friend. We are more and more isolated in America today. 61% of adults in America say they feel lonely, and the rates of loneliness are highest among those who are younger. Now, why do I say all of this? Because I think we can learn a lot from the book of Nehemiah in regards to unity and coming together. The definition of unity is this, the state or fact of being united or combined into one as of the parts of a whole, unification, absence of diversity, unvaried or uniform character, oneness of mind, feeling, as among a number of persons, concord, harmony, or agreement. They did a study in 2022 regarding the most divided countries in the world. I will give you one guess as to which country was number one. Oddly enough, the most divided country in the world is the United States of America. And what are the main causes of division 
in this country. There are politics, religion, race, media, and social media. And then when you look at each one of those causes, you will see even more division within each one individually. The divisions within the body of Christ, the church, is significantly worse than it ever has been. Estimations show that there are more than 200 Christian denominations in the United States and more than 45,000 globally. So whether it is who, who holds office as president, social justice, masks, vaccines, etc., some Christians are taking such tight-fisted and widely divergent viewpoints that they are no longer able to fellowship with those who disagree. Churches have split, pastors have resigned or have been fired, distrust has replaced peace. Now you ready to jump into Nehemiah? And let's see what I believe was the main focus of this book. And hopefully we can learn something. And that focus is unity. As we've learned from Brian and Nicole over the past few weeks, the city of Jerusalem had experienced their own devastation, their own tragedy. King Nebuchadnezzar had the walls of that city destroyed. Now as we learned, this wasn't a small wall at all. This wall was huge, and having this big structure destroyed was devastating to those people. And that, those ruins probably weighed tons, and they didn't have bulldozers, cranes, dump trucks, etc. to use to haul and move those stones away. And we don't read anywhere that any of the builders that Nehemiah employed in the building of the walls were masons. There might have been a few But we read that they were priests, perfume makers, policemen, and businessmen. We also read in Nehemiah chapter 4 that they had opposition to building the wall. This is what Nehemiah says in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God. For we are despised, turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. But despite their opposition, they kept building. And I love what Nehemiah says in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of, all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. And then when their opposition heard that they were still rebuilding, Their opposition were plotting to kill them. So Nehemiah had a plan to stop that from happening as well. He says in verses 13 and 14 and 16 through 23, he says this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. These people were exhausted and these people probably stunk. Because, as Nehemiah says, they didn't even have time to change their clothes. They worked day and night. But these people were also unified in their work. And I think it's important to know that although we focused on chapter 4 just now, chapter 3 tends to get skipped over because it has a huge list of names in it, which probably are hard to pronounce. But this chapter is probably the most important chapter in Nehemiah. Why? There you see the people of God of all ages, of all occupations, without pursuing separate interests, without bickering, side by side, doing the work of the Lord. Why? Just like we read in Nehemiah 4, 6, he says the people had a mind to work. The work of the Lord by the grace of the Spirit was in their heart. And God caused that work to be so dear that it crushed all their self-interest. And by the Spirit of God and thankfulness, they started and they built side by side, family by family, engaged in this great work of rebuilding the wall. And you can note the diversity of the builders. If you read Nehemiah chapter 3, you will see that the builders came from eight different locations, some up to 20 miles away. They came from Tekoa, from Gibeon. They were inhabitants of Zenoa, from Mizpah, from Bethsir, and from Kila. And they had their own farms to till back at home, vineyards to prune, and their workshops to run. And most of these people had no direct benefit themselves from the walls of Jerusalem. But they did not say, yes, you have this function and this activity and this work, but I've got my own things to do. I'm too busy. And besides that, what is that going, what am I going to get out of that? That was not the spirit of these people. They were from every walk of life. They had their own skills and trades and most did not know how to build a wall. And when you read chapter 3, you're going to see the main theme. I'm going to read a few of these verses because I don't want to embarrass myself by butchering those names, which I'm going to do right now anyway. But you're going to see the main theme. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The high priest, Elishib, I hope I said that right, and his fellow priests were up and at it. 
They went to work on the sheep gate. They repaired it and hung its doors, continuing on as far as the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho worked alongside them and next to them, Zachar, son of Emery. The fish gate was built by the Hasanah brothers. They repaired it, hung its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Mammoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, worked next to Meshulam, son of that one, and the son of him. Next to him, Zadok, son of Banana, and next to him, the Tekoites. See, I told you I'd mess it up. But do you see the main theme in the chapter besides the crazy names? The main theme is next to him built so-and-so. And And next to him was so-and-so and and he built this. And he built this next to so-and-so. There was a unity among them in which they took into account each other and their names. They loved each other and they loved the cause of what they were doing. It took Nehemiah 52 days to reinforce the gaps and rebuild the wall. He gathered his people together. He equipped them. He led them in rebuilding rebuilding the city walls of Jerusalem. You know, the building of God's church on every level is to be characterized by unity, by peace. From seeking each one to do his own part, the strength of Nehemiah's day was unity It would have been doomed if it was filled with bitterness, accusation, suspicion, distrust. Because division is the most tragic evil in the life of the church. You know, the wall must be joined together if it's going to be a wall. Apart from unity, there's no success in building. But yet too often we are busy building. We are busy building our piece of the wall and that's the extent of it. But what good is a strong section of a wall if it's not joined to the other sections of the wall? I heard this saying, the devil passes through the gaps and he laughs and pushes the walls down from the inside. But what an amazing thing it is to be involved in the building of the kingdom of God. Not that we want to have a tower named after us, but we desire that God use us to accomplish his his purposes. We desire to be faithful servants, but why is it so hard for us to have this desire to serve and to build his church? I believe for several reasons. We don't understand the Bible's teaching about unity or the nature of biblical unity. Though the doctrine of unity is among the major foundational doctrines of our faith, it has often been neglected in doctrinal study. And we need to deeply understand passages that talk about unity. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2 through 6, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Biblical unity is not for everybody to agree with us. We will never agree on everything. But yet we can still have unity that the Bible talks about. 
But I believe this is the main reason why we have such division in the Christian church today. And that is we are making other things bigger than Jesus and the cross. It all has to come back to Jesus. Some of us might glory in an eloquent preacher, a wise teacher, a name, a building, a church denomination, a pet doctrine that we just can't seem to let go of, a tradition. All of these could divide Christians. Anything, anything, even a valid church doctrine that replaces Jesus Christ at the center of our attention becomes an idol. I'll say it again. Anything, even a valid church doctrine that replaces Jesus Christ at the center of our attention becomes an idol. All the other teachings in scripture get their meaning from the central truth of the cross and the lordship of Jesus. And nothing is worth being a divided body of Christ. Now I have to be transparent here for a minute. Okay. I struggle with unity myself at times because I have a hard time myself worshiping with someone who is judging my personal relationship with Jesus and telling me that I'm going to hell because of who I love and who I'm married to. And I have to pray and ask God to help me love those people and give them grace Because most of the issues that are causing division in the church should instead be leading to dialogue, understanding, conversation, respect, and grace. No matter how right we think we are, no matter how wrong we think someone else is, ask yourself this. Is the issue worth causing division in the church that Christ loves and died for? And the reason why believers are not able to unite is because culture and politics today have become the standard for Christianity instead of Christ himself. The foundation of the church today is not built on Christ the solid rock who is unchanging and transcends all things, but rather on culture and politics which are fleeting and always changing. We have lost sight on our goal and purpose as Christians and have allowed culture, and politics to become an idol over Jesus. And we have done this because we have lost sight of the glory of Jesus and instead created another Christ that fits our standards. Now remember how I mentioned at the beginning of this message why we as humans rally together when a tragic event strikes? As believers in Jesus, despite our personal convictions regarding doctrines, political beliefs, whether we're moderate, liberal, conservative, we should still rally and come together around the tragic event of our Savior dying the worst and most cruel death on the cross for each and every one of us. We can look at him hanging on that cross and everything else should fade away. Jesus unites us. Sin and the devil divides us and separates us from Jesus. We should unite with one another as we hear Jesus cry out to his father on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he says, it is finished, into your hands I commit my spirit. It all comes back to Jesus. It has to. And as we look at his death 
it doesn't stop there. Thank God. We can be united together because of his glorious defeat of death and the grave by rising from the dead on the third day in order for us to have an eternal relationship with him. We again can look past anything else that may divide us and see how Jesus Christ unites us through his death and his resurrection. As the worship team comes up, we're going to end this message on unity with the words from Jesus himself. Because Jesus knew how unity was with his followers. He prayed for it. Jesus prayed for unity in the church in John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus says, my prayer is not I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Christians are to be identified by the love that they have for one another. Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the fact that we can all unite together through the tragic event of your death on the cross. And we can all unite together around the fact that it didn't stop there because you conquered death and the grave. And we can rally around the fact that we serve a living God who deeply loves each and every one of us. So Father, as we are a church today, I pray that we can see what unites us more than what divides us. As we continue to worship, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet every Saturday night at 5.30 at 1901 Brantley Road, Fort Myers. You can catch all of our live stream on Facebook or YouTube at Refuge Church Fort Myers. And we're also on Instagram at refuge.church. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.